Hello and welcome to episode 604 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan, as always joined by Evan Silva. And today we have two very, very special guests, two old friends of the show. They annually emerge from their bunker of high stakes fantasy football auction drafts where they, where they have been incredibly successful to talk all things auction with us. It is, of course, Chris Eibel and Jack Hahn, who are not promoting anything. They're just high stakes players here to help. Jack, how's it going today? It's going well. Thank you, guys. Chris, how's it going today, buddy? Doing well. Excited to talk about my favorite topic. Yes, favorite topic, auction drafts. Great time to be alive. Evan, how's it going today? It's going really well. <clears throat> Always a good opportunity to learn from two of the best. Just hear them rap about auction strategy and all that kind of stuff. And I think that this has become one of our most popular shows because auction content is not you know, I, I feel like it's, it's underrepresented. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so this one's always popular. And a ton of people do auction drafts. And I would say it's just more fair, period. Like, I, and I think that's why they're popular. If I want my crack at Tony Pollard, I don't want to have to have a certain pick. If I want my crack at Christian McCaffrey, I don't want to have to have a certain pick. I want to come up with a strategy. We're going to talk about all that today. All things auction drafts, nomination strategy, capital allocation, structural stuff like stars and scrubs might even get these guys to share some players they're targeting in their high stakes drafts at the end of the show. And to be clear, this episode is for people playing in their normal home league style auction drafts, not the high stakes stuff that these guys are into. Before we get into it today, reminder, if you do play in auction leagues or really any sort of season long league, you should check out the EstablishTheRun.com draft kit. Comes with rankings for all formats, including auction both 1QB and Superflex. I can't stress enough how seriously we take our rankings. This isn't just some list some guy on Twitter comes up with. It's a collective output of a team that spends, pathetically, but spends our entire lives focused on fantasy football. And also, if you plan to play DFS this year, be sure to look at the bundle. Check it out, establishtherun.com forward slash subscribe. All right. Before you set up an auction draft, because I think it's really easy to prepare for a snake draft, we have a general idea, especially in rounds one, two, three, four, five, a general idea of where everyone roughly will go and where we think they should go. So preparations for a snake draft are way different, I think, than preparations for an auction where, man, people can do absolutely anything. Guys can go for wild prices, et cetera. Start with you, Jack. How do you prepare before the draft in an auction league? Yeah, there's always a certain number of steps that I take. First and foremost is I got to get the best information on the uh, actual auction values. So some of the sites that Chris and I uh, play at actually provide that. So then it, then it's easy to look at those numbers and uh, have that information. Uh, from there, I always put together a number of scenarios, at least for any high stakes draft, at least five or six different scenarios. It could be... Um, hero RB, it could be, you know, really strong RB or, you know, it's top four wide receivers. I do them all in different iterations so that whatever comes up in that first half hour of the draft, I pretty much have an iteration I can work from right away. So um, in preparing those though, I always, always look for the value guys that basically would fall within the three to $12 range. So I'm looking for guys that are going to fit my plans in different scenarios and then always have a backup or two in case 
the guy I'm projecting for a $10 slot or whatnot. I'm ready to bid on any of those guys to fit that slot. Um, and a number, a number of um, end game players too. I always prepare ahead of time a list of dollar and $2 players. So I don't get caught at the end, you know, scrambling through sheets. I know who my favorites are. There's at least 20 or 30 right there that I can look at. Cause I know Chris Eibel's going to put up somebody for a dollar and I got to be ready to, to go to on him mm-hmm. um, and be ready to nominate those guys at the end. So those are really the critical steps for me. Yeah. I, I think that's an important point about the cheap guys in DFS. One of the first things that I do for every DFS slate, I don't start at the top. I start at the bottom, right? Because missing on the guys at the bottom is just such at the bottom of the salary pool is such a big mistake. You just can't do that. And I think similarly, in auction, I mean, knowing how much you can spend or should spend on the first three, four, five guys on your team depends on the quality of uh, the players you can get for one, two, three, four, five. So I like that. Chris, anything to add on preparation from what Jack said? Yeah, I would say the couple of things that highlight that Jack said are not or fig- figuring out those one dollar players. Usually, I'm I'm looking at handcuff type running backs to to fit that bill. And then also having an idea of what the market's going to spend on players, whether that's from prior year values. It's really important because if you're trying to adjust to a market you're not expecting in the middle of an auction on top of bidding, like it's just too much going on at once. So really like to be prepared in terms of knowing what players will go for. The one additional step that I probably take is I'm a very math oriented person. So uh, putting together value over replacement player type analysis of how many points, you know, Patrick Mahomes is expected to score over Geno Smith and building that into some formulas where I'm calculating auction values myself. Mm -hmm, For sure. Okay. There's always things changing in these drafting markets, right? Like zero RB was the rage uh, among sharps. Late round quarterback has been the rage among sharps in snake drafts. There's probably trends also in auction. I'll start with Chris this time. Have you noticed any trends this year or in the last couple years about auctions that struck you? Yeah, I think in the long term, as players have been getting sharper, we've seen more money get allocated away from running backs to wide receivers. But I think the big difference for someone coming from 2022 to 2023, I think people are going to be surprised by just how much more these quarterbacks are going for this year. And I think that money's coming out of the running back pool again. So just to give an example, I think people are really surprised when they go to an auction draft and find out Justin Herbert is selling more for more this year than he was last year since he came off a bad year. I know there's Mm -hmm. Kellen Moore and everything, but uh, I think those prices are going to be really surprising to people who haven't been uh, doing best ball drafts in the offseason or or keeping up with snakes drafts. Yeah, I'm curious what you think about that, Jack, because I mean, we did the quarter, we did a couple of different quarterback shows last week. And man, I mean, I never thought in a million years I would be okay taking quarterback in round three of a snake draft. But in some spots, in some half PPR formats, I've found myself doing that. What do you think about the quarterback rage in auctions, Jack, and any other market tendencies? Yeah, it's completely changed this year. Honestly, I've been doing high stakes for like 21 years since the very first high stakes draft out in Vegas. And I never thought we'd reach this point again after so many years of people pushing off QB that I find it really, really odd that all of a sudden there is this change this year to so much more emphasis on quarterbacks. It honestly doesn't make a lot of sense to me overall. Chris and his math probably might be able to put some numbers to that, 
but I'm I'm very surprised. Uh, frankly, I I would only be taking these quarterbacks if I saw some values. Um, there, I think there's plenty of guys still later on instead of those top three or four guys. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about quarterbacks, so I didn't want to dive too deep into that. Yeah. But I'm just surprised. Yeah. And that money has really moved a lot of it into quarterbacks, like Chris said. Yeah. Well, while we're here on, on quarterbacks, I, I think we should stick on this because it's really interesting to me in a single quarterback league. If Justin Herbert is going to go for some insane amount and I, and I can get Geno Smith or Tua or Daniel Jones for something way, way, way cheaper that to me, that is interesting. It's similar to the gap you see in snake. I don't know, Chris, what do you think about these gaps that we see a quarterback going from the elite tier down to kind of that last of the starting tier, which I would consider Watson, Daniel Jones, to uh, Geno Smith types. Yeah, once you get a, past that Herbert Lawrence tier, the guys are so interchangeable that you're going to come away with a Dak or or a Geno Smith for for two three dollars just because there are so many guys in in that tier. So it's definitely an area I anticipate pivoting towards this year. I think what we're seeing with that market, what's driving that, is people are so reactionary to what won them leagues the year before. And we're coming off a year where Jarek McKinnon was the big running back and nobody felt like they could keep up with Mahomes and Hurts. We're seeing that really have a ramification on prices going into this year. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I feel like in redraft season long, the quarterback started to get more expensive um, from a draft slot standpoint maybe like two or three years ago. And it almost coincided with um, dudes just like Josh Allen winning people so much money in, in DFS because, you know, there are these quarterbacks at the top that can like drop, you know, 40 points in a given week because they are super skilled as passers and they run. Yeah. So they can have these monster weeks where they, you know, run for 40 yards and a touchdown three throw for three touchdown passes throw for 300 yards. And like they're hitting all kinds of bone. I, see, I, I feel like it, that, that trend started a few years ago in redraft season long. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. like, even, even in two, even in two quarterback leagues, I think there are quarterbacks later. You can go back and listen to the two quarterback super flex podcast. I'm curious uh, how you guys think about super flex auction, because we talked a ton about Sam Howell who has some rushing ability and showed it at North Carolina and showed it in his one start last year. You also have a guy like Anthony Richardson um, who is polarizing, but is viable certainly at a minimum in two quarterback leagues. Desmond Ritter, I know is someone that we've talked about Kenny Pickett. There's a lot of these guys that I think in two quarterback leagues are at least somewhat viable. Is there anything auction specific, Chris, you would say about two quarterback uh, going forward? Yeah. With, Auctions, I actually do think it brings about a unique opportunity with two quarterbacks. Whereas in a redraft, if you're going starting QB, QB, as some people like to do, in the second round, you're already dropping down to that Deshaun Watson, you know, Kirk Cousins tier. Mm-hmm. In auction, I think you have the ability to pay up $55, $60 for even two of those top tier QB guys. And I think that becomes a viable option in, in an auction because you're not getting stuck with that next tier. Now, obviously, you have to cut corners in other places, but the numbers justify it. The difference between a Patrick Mahomes projection and a Desmond Ritter projection is around 200 points in most formats. That's the difference between Justin Jefferson and Alec Pierce in most formats. So mm-hmm. 
Um, just based on the math, I see those prices totally justified for that top tier quarterbacks. But there are certainly some guys that you mentioned that I'd be happy pivoting to if I didn't go big on quarterback. Yeah, for sure. But I would mention there's a number of guys in that tier uh, past the first tier where we're looking at guys that could easily be top one or two quarterbacks this year, in my mind, with Herbert or um, Lamar Jackson or even Trevor Lawrence. To me, they're all on the upswing. And uh, when you look at the difference between their numbers, to me, I'd rather have one of those for what I'm paying than one of those top three guys and then allocate my money to other places where I know I can improve on, on, a, on another stud wide receiver or whatnot. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Back to the macro of auction. I, I always prefer personally a stars and scrubs approach. I think I'm better at finding scrubs than my opponents. Maybe that's true. Maybe that isn't. I'll start with you, Jack. Can we go into a draft with a preferred approach? I say, ah, I want to do stars and scrubs here. Do you go into a draft? with that kind of strategy in your head? Every draft. Chris knows that too about me. <laughs> I'm a stars and strubs drafter. So I'm going to have at least two or three stars on my team. And so I prepare all of my different scenarios um, with different guys and different backups going into that and always come out aggressively bidding so that I'm going to land two or three of those that fit one or more of those plans. I have just found way more success doing it that way. Uh, maybe I'm more used to it, uh, but I've also seen guys go balanced that I think they have too many guys to choose from every week and they can choose their starters wrong that way. So I'd much rather know who my starters are going to be and here and there have to make decisions versus um, a number of decisions every week. Yeah, I think, Chris, the idea of stars and scrubs is that if we can just hit on a couple of our scrubs, we're at such an advantage, right? If we can get a couple of our one, two, three, four, five dollar guys to perform like a $20 guy, and we have all the very expensive guys also, or a few of the very expensive guys also, then it's a smash. That said, just like in DFS, there's merit every week for building a more balanced lineup. Do you go in, Chris, with a plan of a style you want and preferred style? I think... My goal is to get as much value as possible, whether that comes in the form of stars and scrubs or elsewhere. I think the really hard part, if you don't get any stars, though, is finding that value to make its way into your starting lineup. A lot of times you'll get stuck. The most common, I guess, issue I would say with typical successful redraft players who enter an auction for the first time and are trying to get as much value as they can is so much of that value ends up on their bench. So for someone who's maybe newer or more intermediate in auctions, I would not necessarily recommend going full stars and scrubs, but if you commit to buying two top 10 players, say Tyreek Hill and CD Lamb, you can still have $100 left over in your auction to just pick off values. And that doesn't necessarily mean scrubs, but you can find Lockett or Goddard or guys like those when they go for under $10 and just collect all those to round out your roster. Not necessarily a true stars and scrubs approach, but I think getting two stars is a way of managing the rest of your budget. For sure. And just like Chris said, getting value. I mean, we have the auction values on the site. Chris develops his own, but no matter what you do, I think coming to the draft with some idea of what a value price is on a player is important. Uh, I'm curious, Jack, you said you go into every draft thinking stars and scrubs. Is there any example of where you might change that approach mid-draft? Like we're going into the draft, something happens and you're like, well, I can't go stars and scrubs anymore. Is there anything like that that can happen in a draft? Uh, that doesn't happen to me mid-draft. 
I've had it happen maybe through about a round and a half where I haven't gotten any stars. And I said, I have not been bidding aggressively enough, which is pretty rare for me because I'm going in there with guns blazing, ready to go a dollar or two over uh, the average value. So I, I rarely have to do that where I have to somehow adjust because I'm going to get my guys before I'm hitting the lower bottom of these tiers, right? Because if there's, if there's four top running backs and I'm going to get one of those, I'm going to be bidding aggressively on, on all of those till I have one at least without getting hit at the bottom of the tier where it's going to go up even higher than I would want. So that's a question. Say I barely, <laughs> my answer is I'm barely in that position. Uh, the only way I would start to change my philosophy is if I'm in a large league, like a 14 team auction. Cause I think there the depth gets really difficult to build on a team because of 14 teams. So I might go a little bit less of the stars in order to have more depth to cover more bye weeks in a larger league like that. Okay. What about specifically coming to the draft? You guys do a lot of live auctions in Vegas and stuff like that. Do you bring cheat sheets? Do you use software? How do you manage your budget, your picks, how other teams are spending? I know some of the online sites will manage all that for you chris do you show up to a live draft with some type of spreadsheet uh built out for you to manage i presume yeah d definitely use excel uh it's one of the things i'm tracking during the draft i'm kind of keeping the same way like a blackjack card counter would i'm trying to track how much money is being spent relative to player values and if the money's coming in lower that's when i want to be as aggressive as possible before people realize they have too much money and if it's coming in higher, I have a fair amount of confidence in my projections that I'm going to be able to pick off values later on. So without Excel, I wouldn't be able to track that. Um, so thank you, Microsoft. I think this uh, precludes Evan and I from actually participating in a live auction because neither of us are capable of handling the spreadsheet socialism that goes on here. Jack, well, are let you, you, let you chime in? Yeah, there. let me. I want to. I want to hear Jack's take on this because you don't strike me as a spreadsheet social. No, I'm an ARP guy, right? I'm practically retired, and I'm old timer. Um, where I still have, I chart everyone's team, literally in front of me. Okay, so I'm charting every quarterback that's entered, every tight end, in a really organized fashion, but not Excel like Chris. And frankly, I'm jealous that Chris can do it and I can't. But it's really easy for me to see in one place who's filled what. So if there's three guys that need a quarterback, I can really plan accordingly, whether I want to aggressively put up an Anthony Richardson there for $3, bang, and, and put him in as a high upside guy or whatnot. So I, I always chart that out. I always have the average auction values right next to me too. So as soon as a player's name is called, if I don't know it offhand, which I know a lot already, I'll look to see where I, where the target is and then whether I'm willing to go above or below that. And then of course I have all my scenarios there. So as soon as one is close to what's happening with mine, I can go right to it and I can chart my money that I budgeted higher or lower. So if I'm getting guys a few dollars lower than I budgeted, I know I'm ahead of schedule and I can put more money toward another position. Mm -hmm. That charting everybody's uh, auction bids and, and selections, it probably comes in handy because I know that you, you often end up playing against the same guys year over year, right? Yeah. So charting at, like what everybody is doing, you probably like, you know, you, you know, like guys' tendencies, like your, your opponent's tendencies probably. Yeah, there's certain things, but, you know, I, 
I learned a long time ago from a, a guy I used to have a uh, partner with on teams. Every year is different. So when the inventory changes on certain positions or strengths and running backs versus wide receivers, that can change from year to year. But I learn guys' tendencies because I can read body language really well. And certain guys, if they're putting up a guy, they're bidding. They're bidding to buy, right? And that's the fun. That To me, that's fun part of knowing certain guys' tendencies because then I'll bid them up because I know they're going to they're bidding to buy a person. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're gonna talk about nomination strategy here in a second, which I think is super important. Bidding strategy also is something to watch. I I, I do that in auctions too. I, if sometimes I, I try to be the enforcer when I do auction drafts, I try to be the one that's like, somebody tries to sneak someone in for two. I'm like, no, no, we're going to 15. If you want him, you got to go to 16. Cause I think he's so undervalued and you get to feel for some people who want when they put out a bid for anything they're going to follow through and go for a guy so yeah that's super interesting for sure um oh we kind of mentioned this already with stars and scrubs but i'm curious if you guys think about a certain dollar amount for starters versus bench in other words let's say we have 200 dollars. is there a certain amount you go for in your starters versus your bench jack i'll start with you on this one is there's number in your head it's like man i really only want to spend x amount on my bench I always budget around 175 to 178 out of 200 on starters. Okay. So if I'm getting to 178 to 180, I know I'm going to be a little bit handicapped at the end to get those two or $3 players. Uh, so I always try to aim for 87%, which is one 175. So when I'm doing all these different scenarios, I'll have to move players around to see where I land with the 175. Chris, how about you? No, I, I agree the same. The biggest mistake you can make in an auction is is leaving too much money on your bench that's going to be, be sitting and not not playing every week. So uh, the one distinction I would say, though, is it's sort of a sliding scale between league size and bench size. So if I'm talking to someone and they're asking me a question about a 10-team auction, you need to load up on stars absolutely because there's always going to be waiver wire talent available versus uh, – participate in a 14 team high stakes auction in Vegas with 10 man benches and inevitably the bye weeks come and people are starting Van Jefferson and Terrace Marshall. And so for those, I definitely lower the amount I allocate to my starters because I have such an advantage just starting someone who I know is going to be on the field during those bye weeks and even the playoffs. I think it's a really important point because in a snake, like you can't allocate more to your stars and your bench. It's just linear. It, it is what it is. I'm wanting to churn the waiver wire in season long. I want to be attacking the waiver wire. Just because you have an auction doesn't mean you don't have a waiver wire. You have the same waiver wire as Snake. And so, man, I I am just trying to – I think Jack and Chris are are just spot on as much as I possibly can stomach on starters, 175, 178, 180 out of of 200 sounds right to me. And then I'm just churning the waiver wire with the rest. That's actually a good point when when I'm spending – you know, five or six guys, a dollar for my last five or six guys. I consider that they're taking my shots. I'll see what happens for a week or two. And then I'm aggressively hitting the waiver wire to fill in whatever needs I may have. Yeah, And you're handicapping yourself. If you have guys on your bench who you don't feel like you can cut because you spent five or six dollars on. So while everyone else is churning those, those handcuff running backs throughout the season, you're just kind of stuck holding that, that guy. All right, let's talk about, we are talking about quarterback. Let's get a couple more positional takes here. When we're building your running back room, it's getting so controversial. I mean, site to site, the running back landscape is insane in ADP. From 
different thing to different thing. Chris, I'll start with you. How do you think about building a running back room, studs versus mid versus late round breakouts? I think for a lot of the zero RB bros out there, they use auction as an opportunity to be like, hey, listen, I can spend $10 total on my running back room and hopefully be fine. Do you go in with a plan at running back? No, I think Jack can attest. I think in most years, I'm typically a zero or hero or RB type where I feel very comfortable about finding that second running back for a dollar or two. I'm expecting that strategy to shift a bit for me this year, though, because there's just a plethora of guys in that Kamara, Rashad White, Damian Pierce. You'll see Kenneth Walker and Joe Mixon fall to that 10 to $15 range that I'm no longer finding an, an incentive to pass on an RB2 when you can get guys with three down upside that cheap. And so with all that money having shifted from running back to wide receiver and quarterback, it's that tier of RB2s that I think is just cheaper than ever. And, and if I get three of those guys, I'm, I'm confident that I'm going to have a decent running back room on the cheap. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I would think about it too. And to put specific names on it, like I'm sure I could get Antonio Gibson, uh, Rashad Penny, Zach Charbonnet, Brian Robinson, Devon A-Chain, Jamal Williams, Tank Bigsby, Jalen Warren, Tyler Algier. I'm sure I can cobble together a running back room that is very inexpensive out of those. The problem with that, Jack, is that I miss out on the running backs like, like Chris was talking about who are going relatively cheap in Snake at least, who actually have a path to being a top five, top six running back this year. Jack, how do you think about your running back room in auction? Yeah, this is one area I'm really open on this year and why I create the different scenarios because I first, I totally agree with Chris. There, There's a, a group of those running backs in what would normally be rounds five to eight that are such great values this year that I was thinking just along the same lines as Chris that, well, I could take two of those guys and run with it. But if 10 of the 12 teams are going to think that way entering an auction, I got to be ready to pivot. And if Tony Pollard's going to be there for $30, I'm jumping on it. So um, that's why I have these different scenarios so I can right away fill in different things. So I'm ready for certain guys that I, I really like in those, you know, rounds two or three in a redraft that I'll buy, change my plan if, if, there's, if there are guys that I really want to plug into a team for a good price. I mean – the whole concept of hero and zero RB is that there's going to be so much chaos at the running back position through the year, and we can capitalize on it through very cheap guys in auction or through the waiver wire. And so I think there's ton, ton, ton of options and ways to play running but back this year for sure. It's a little bit different in a, a self-contained league. What, what I agree with you when it comes to the big tournaments, that that's where we get our second RB if it's a backup sure that'll work in an individual league but if i'm just looking to win that league i'm doing less of a focus on those backup running backs versus just buying a, a strong starting lineup where i can win this league sure. i think it's a little bit different the way i'm going to auction versus go redraft in the tournaments sure like the thing is though i wouldn't consider like david montgomery a backup really i wouldn't consider brian robinson a backup those guys are so 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 cheap if you follow what i'm saying i mean so yeah it's interesting interesting running back confident that david montgomery is going to be the player that you think he might be yes he's a 50 50 guy in my mind yeah 
I agree. Well, maybe we get Evan's micro take here, but I, I would I would just say that it is going to be 50-50, but I think there's going to be a ton of opportunities for for David Montgomery. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there's going to be opportunities at the goal line in a, what has, what's been a high-scoring offense. They play indoors. Like, and I, I'm with you, though. I think it's going to be 50-50. Yeah. What I meant by 50-50 is 50% maybe he's good, 50% maybe he's not. Oh, I have well. Well, that, that, I mean, there, there's definitely some truth to that, too. Uh, I believe Jack is a Chicago guy. He sounds like he has some bitter memories of David Montgomery in a Bears uniform. Yeah. Okay. Tight end. I, I've gone back and forth in this because I like that. I, there are some guys in the middle range I like. I, I think Goddard is good. I think Njoku and Fryermuth are interesting also. But once you get past, like, the Kelsey, uh, Andrews, Hawkinson, there's so many guys late that are going to have crazy opportunity at tight end. Jack, I'll start with you this time in terms of tight end in an auction strategy. How are you thinking about it this year? Well, if we're talking a tight end premium league, I'm in. Okay. Um, 1.5 point per reception. Chances are good I'll be bidding on those top three or four guys. Okay, because of the differentiation of the, of the points that I would expect between them in a just straight PPR league. I think you, you have to make an individual choice whether you're going to put Kelsey Andrews Hawkinson, one of those guys in your plan or not, because if you suddenly buy one in the middle of an auction, to me, that is a really um, it's an event that throws me out of my loop a little bit because I'm not, wasn't expecting that position. So I think that's something you have to decide a, a ahead of time. But to me, there's certainly a differentiation in those top guys. I'd be ready for any of them, but um, I, I'm mostly going to be a buyer probably this year. But I'll see how it is because a lot of times, a lot of times, guys don't like to buy tight ends. It's right. almost as if they look at it as a different position. Um, if you're not a real numbers guy. Um, who likes to buy a tight end? I mean, right. they've, they've been underpriced for years in different leagues. So you have to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, the argument, Chris, is always that this position is so thin, it falls off a cliff so fast that having an elite tight end that plays well is such an advantage over the rest of your league mates. I hear what Jack is saying, though. It's never exciting, and that's why in an auction, like I could see Kelsey, get, I could see getting into a bidding war on Kelsey or Andrews. It's hard for me to see people getting into a bidding war on like Friermuth or Njoku, right? So how do you think about tight end strategy for an auction, Chris? Yeah, the hard part about paying up for a tight end this year, in particular in home leagues, I feel like guys like Evan Ingram, Fryermuth, they offer you top five potential at that position, but they don't cost you more than 3 to $4. So right. to pay something more than that, I feel like I have to be really confident I'm getting a you know, 25 30% plus discount of where I think they should be going. I'll probably mix in an average amount of Kelsey. I don't want to... I don't want to be left without him but beyond that looking for values and very comfortable pivoting to engram and Fryermuth for three four bucks um and then also not making sure guys like kincaid and laporta don't go for two dollars either right and i mean I, yeah i was gonna bring up tyler higby you know and you mentioned uh kincaid laporta i mean there's so many hunter henry all these guys are gonna be i assume one two three dollars it's really hard for me to stomach some of the mid-range guys depending on how much they go for so yeah i think that's for sure an interesting strategy on tight end all right specific question here while you're drafting i'm sure this happened anybody who's done an auction draft i'm sure this has happened you get on a player a player's out there you know he's a clear value it's striking it's obvious to everyone he's a clear value but he doesn't fit your build he doesn't fit your plan let's say you already spent a ton on wide receiver 
and then Tyler Lockett, Mike Evans, they might be bench guys for you, but they're going for way too cheap because no one wants these guys. Jack, will you deviate from your plan to take advantage of someone for going too cheap, even though he doesn't really fit your team? Probably. If it's a guy like that, where he'd be my fifth wideout, like a Mike Evans, and if he's going to go for like six or seven dollars, I'd pull the trigger because you need him in bye weeks. You don't know about injuries. Um, if I'm already really strong on wideouts, you know that's that's part of the theory when you're going hard on wideouts too. So I yeah. don't see a problem doing that. I have to always monitor how much though I'm leaving for my running backs and other positions just to make sure because I've, I've been caught where I'm really struggling to get that second running back because I've been overly aggressive. Right. It's like, Oh, I got this great deal, but also now I've spent more than I want to on my bench. And that kind of makes me a little bit queasy, if you know what I mean. But I, I kind of agree that God, just going for the straight value has to be right in a vacuum. Chris, how do you think about these spots where someone's going for way cheaper than you think they should, but you don't really need them. Yeah, I think this goes through the checklist of things to think about as a guy's nominated. You might have, let's say Tyler Lockett comes up and you want to fit him into your wide receiver three spot. You think he's worth 15 to $20 cause you're going to get him for 15 games in your lineup. If he's your wide receiver five, he's going to play six or seven games through filling in for bye weeks or injuries, but his value is essentially cut in half to your team by only being in your lineup half as much. So there's always a price on a guy, but if I have Lockett valued at 1820 and I have to fit him into my wide receiver five spot, I'm making sure he doesn't go for less than 10, but it's difficult. I don't want to handicap my team beyond that. Yeah. All right. Nomination strategy. It's such a war out there in nomination. Some people like to nominate dust balls. Some people like to nominate stars or strategy around the order of when to nominate a guy. Of course, there's strategy around if I nominate a guy, does that mean I want him? Does that mean I, I'm just putting out guys that I don't want, et cetera, et cetera? Chris, I'll start with you this time. What is your nomination strategy? You can take that anywhere you want it. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier how I'm tracking in Excel and and really trying to take advantage of whether people are not spending enough or spending too much. I think if the market kind of is people are going for what I think they should be going for, then I start to look at trying to extract value from one or two dollar players where I think they're going to be better than someone else's one or two dollar player. The twist I'll add for home leagues that I'm in is a lot of times when I'm playing with my buddies or friends, I have a strong take on which players or which laundry they root for and am able to take advantage of that in terms of getting as much money out of them to take advantage of, of, of who I know they like. Uh, Jack, anything to add on nomination strategy? There's there's a number of things you can bring up on nominations. Uh, I like to nominate a player where there's about three or four players in that tier and get someone out there that I can get at a reasonable price so that I lock in one of my positions before I get to the end of the tier, which I mentioned earlier. Because you will see, especially on wideouts, their prices go up 3 or $4 or more at the end of a tier. So I, I always want to avoid that. So I'm always looking at where we're at in tiers and how it fits my plan as to who I might be putting up. And that's someone then I'd be willing to buy, but not desperate to buy. Mm -hmm. And other people also know there's still guys in that tier. So I'm usually getting them around the price that he, he should sell at. Okay. Um, I also don't like to put up nominations of guys cheap in the beginning, especially handcuff running backs. 
because sharp guys will, if I put up someone for a dollar, let's say Chuba Hubbard, because I want to pair him with Miles Sanders, there's some guys that'll go $2 while they have the money. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a mistake. So I very rarely put up guys early in the auction that are those handcuff type guys, or maybe a wide receiver I think I could get for a dollar or two later on. And also one of my one of my favorite strategies is a first round of uh, nominations. I will purposely pick a guy that fits my plan, but who's not exciting. Okay, so um, I mentioned this to a guy uh, about a week ago. Like, let's just say Joe Mixon, who I know has issues right now. Nobody has any excitement for Joe Mixon right now. But if he's a guy that's going underpriced. And you put him up in the first round. It's almost like a deflating event. Like guys are like, oh, like who wants to bid on Joe Mixon right now? Right. And so many times I'll get him for a price that fits my plan. And that's it just perfect there. Mm -hmm. Because most guys are ready to, you know, blow a big chunk on Garrett Wilson or someone for $40. So I like to throw in those medium guys that are unexciting, but fit what I'm trying to do. I think there's an element of shock value when Jack does that too. It's uh, you're going off in your cheat sheet and someone just said Tyree Kill, someone just said CeeDee Lamb, and then you bring up Amari Cooper. You hear the cheat sheet shuffle as people look down and sort of get frozen and don't know what to do. So I do think that's an effective strategy to just nominate someone that's completely off the course of of the past few players who have been nominated and, and throwing others off. Yeah. It works especially well with quarterbacks, too. If you're someone that you know you want to go Kirk Cousins because he has a great week 17 this year and you get him for like 4 or $5 when everyone's ready to bid on a Justin Herbert. Yeah. Like who wants to put on Kirk Cousins on your draft sheet in the first round? Nobody. <laughs> Um, I do think there's different strategies for early versus late nominations. And I, I agree with what you guys are saying for early. You can certainly nominate guys that you want early, especially if they're boring guys. Like Jack says later, I try to never nominate a guy that I actually want. Is that a mistake? Either of you guys can chime in here. Uh, I personally like, man, when it gets to middle or end game, there's no way I'm going to nominate someone that I actually, that I actually would want. Uh, I'll go first, Chris. Uh, it depends on the money. It really depends on, you have to read the room who has $20, who has $3, who has 10, right? So, and, and looking at positions, because if I actually have $25 left and I'm one of the strong guys with money, I'll put up a guy that I want and get him there. Um, and I could put up a guy for a certain number, like five, if he's, if he's worth that and, and put him on the team. So it's completely like, how much money do I have? But I'm rarely in that position because right. I, spend a lot of money so then i'm not putting up those guys and i'm waiting waiting for other guys to to put them up yeah i'll add the first two-thirds of an auction i really don't care what other specific teams are doing but as teams are starting to run out of money and you're naming one or two dollar players you're kind of watching you know you brought the example of chuba hubbard um looking to see how much money the miles sander sanders owner has and as soon as they you know spend that last two three dollars the very next guy i'll nominate is hubbard when they can't do anything about it so i'm paying much more attention to what everyone else in the league is doing late in the game when i see who who might like that one or two dollar player that's a favorite of mine all right sorry go ahead jack just last comment on that is I really do like to mix it up though, because I never want to be predictable so that guys know if I'm putting someone up 
I'm in to win. Um, I think that's a mistake. So I do have to sometimes just take money off the board. If I feel like I have certain players on my team already and I'm, I'm good for the time being. All right. We've gone long enough here without giving people actual micro takes, actual player advice. So I think that one thing about auction that's interesting, like I said, we can have a pretty good idea of where everyone in snake is going to go. Guys who don't get buzz around them, really can be had for way cheaper than they would relatively in snake. So I'm curious, start with you, Jack, if you have, based on what you've seen in auction drafts so far, any examples of players that you're gravitating towards that are consistently seem to be better values in auction? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, noted a couple the other night when I was preparing for an auction. Um, Mike Evans has been one of the most consistent performers since he's been in the league. Uh, $10 average auction value this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, number 16 in point per game. I know he was inconsistent, but he only had six touchdowns too. And it was toward the end of the year where he had a three touchdown game, but he's going number 34 in average auction value this year. To me, he's like a perfect flex guy for $10. If I already have other wide receivers and he's just not sexy this year, although he's been so consistent that it's just a disparity that to me makes no sense. Um, there's a, a couple running backs like that too. I mean, James Connor is one where, um, you know, I know he's had some injury issues and that team stinks, but he's going to get all the opportunity. Uh, he's, his average auction value, at least on the site I'm using now is 12. He was number 10 last year in points per game. And he's going off the board as number 27 in uh, average auction value. So, you know, if, if at least some of those um, factors are going to remain consistent for him, that's just way too low for, for me. So that, that that's the kind of guy I would put in yeah. a plan as a second running back. Yeah. Deontay I, I, Johnson, I feel like, is another guy that nobody wants. I mean, he's gotten 140 targets in like three straight seasons. Yeah. yeah. I, I like Deontay Johnson. I like Mike Evans. I've been out on James Conner out of fear. This team is just going to completely implode and Conner won't be there for the stretch run. But I think the theme that you see here on guys that are possibly undervalued in auction is veterans who people are not excited about on teams that people are not excited about. Chris, have you found anyone that's consistently been undervalued for you that you gravitate towards in auctions? Yeah, I, I've like taken a shot so far on Trevor Lawrence just in terms of um, at the quarterback position. I feel like he's the one guy who maybe people aren't as excited to spend as much on as I say a Justin Fields. And if you nominate him early enough where he's not that last tier quarterback, uh, I feel like he's one of those guys who can give you top five upside for occasionally a single digit price. Uh, at the running back position, I've had a lot of success year in and year out, just taking the guys who nobody else likes. And so, you know, a couple of years back, that's David Montgomery. Last year, it's Josh Jacobs. I'm waiting to see who those guys are this year. It's trending towards Joe Mixon and Kenny Walker, but uh, th- those are some guys who are routinely. Um, they don't always go for less than $20, but have seen them slip to that $14, $15 just because of that uncertainty around them and when they are on pouncing. Evan, you're right about the, the veteran wide receivers, though. There's there's a group of them. Uh, Brandon Cooks, Cortland Sutton are two mm-hmm. others. Like I saw Sutton go for $5 the other night, you know, about 80, 75 to 80% into the auction. I'm like, it's $5 for Cortland Sutton on a Peyton team. So to me, that's a guy that has produced in the past and is just is a cheap. Agreed for sure. What about the other side of the coins? Obviously anybody with a lot of 
buzz, right? Anybody that's on Twitter a ton, anybody that is being talked about constantly. I mean, my God, there's been so many guys that have gotten steamed up. I, I can't fathom what Kenny Gamewell is going for in auctions now after this past week of hype on Kenny Gamewell. But you get into bidding wars that maybe you shouldn't be. And I find myself in these traps too, because when I play auctions with my friends, they all know who I want. They all know, and they and they bid me up and all these really exciting, buzzy guys. Chris, I'll start with you. Is there anyone that you've noticed in auctions that's gotten into these crazy wars where people end up overspending based on buzz? Yeah, a couple guys who I think were prematurely anointing as elite, and I get why they go where they go in redraft because there hits a point in the late second round where all the elite guys are gone, teams aren't quite comfortable taking a quarterback yet, it's kind of where you're and all the running backs have have holes in them. You're starting to see people take Devontae Smith and Chris mm-hmm. Olave there. I don't think the auction prices, I get why they go there and redraft, but I don't think the auction prices are reflecting a big enough gap from those guys from where they should be relative to guys like Amon St. Brown and and CD Lamb. And so if I spend $75 on, on pairing Olave and Smith, I'm not super confident that I've given myself this massive, massive advantage at the wide receiver position. So those are a couple of guys who I think are great players, but for various reasons surrounding their situations, you know, those veteran receivers, like it, would it shock me if Mike, Michael Thomas was as productive as Chris Olave? No. Um, and whoa, 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 whoa. That would, that would shock me. Uh, but yeah, oh, that's a controversial take right there. For <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring controversy onto your show, but uh, but I am a sucker for the veteran wide receivers this year. If people have kind of given up on that OBJ Lockett, uh, Michael Thomas, to give examples, and um, for, for that reason, I'm fading a couple of those guys, those yeah. younger guys. It's funny you brought up Kenny Gainwell because two nights ago in an auction, I bought him for four dollars. It was far into the draft, and I still needed another running back, and there weren't many guys with money left. So it all depends when a guy like that comes up. Um, but in that same draft, I put up uh, the sun god, Amon Ra, like in the first round. So I wanted to see where he went and was ready to buy. But that was one time I got pushed off. Um, he was going for about $5 above average auction value, and he's had a ton of us, yeah. rightly so. But that's a guy who's been steaming up the first round lately. Yeah. I mean, I could see people getting out of control on Calvin Ridley, kind of similar to that uh, Devontae Smith, Chris Olave tier and like these second year wide receivers like uh Jahan Dotson sticks out to me George Pickens guys that are going I I think you guys can tell me but it seems like those guys are getting a lot of buzz and I could see people getting overinflated on bidding wars on some of those second year wide receivers like Pickens Dotson uh etc it hasn't been crazy though when when you when you get into that range of um you know wide receivers 30 through 45 or so they may go up somewhat um, but it's never going to go up $15 or so unless something amazing happens to those players. So, they, you know, a guy like Pickens could go up 3 or $4, uh, but it's never going to be out of your range if, if it's a guy you really want. Okay. One boring guy that I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I feel I could go really cheap is Marquise of uh, fake Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida Brown. Uh, nobody seems to want to touch this guy somewhere the James Conner thesis, but man, he has an incredible opportunity in front of him does Marquise Brown. So I, w- I would assume that that might be in Chris's mix as he looks at these some of these veteran uh, wide receivers this year as well. All right. Yeah, you can put him in that Deontay Johnson, Tyler Lockett tier. For sure. Yep. All right. This was awesome. Hopefully all you guys that have auctions out there gain value out of this. Again, we do have auction values for both single quarterback and two quarterback leagues 
up in the draft kit now. Good backbone for you to take to your draft along with all of the stuff that we talked about here today. Jack, I don't know if you want to be found, but if you do want to be found, tell the people where they can find you. Well, I think my t- Twitter, now known as X, um, address is Jack Hanlaw, but I don't even remember exactly. <laughs> but, but guys have found me in years past after I've done the pod with you. Uh, I've gotten some followers thanks to you guys. Yes. They'll find you. Don't worry. They'll find you and ask you questions. Don't worry. They do that. <laughs> I get DMs. Yep. Chris, go ahead if you want to be found. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when I did my first podcast with you two years ago, my Twitter account was an egg, but that quickly sprouted. And so you can find me at Chris Eibel, uh, just Chris Eibel. All right, at Chris Eibel. Good luck in your drafts this year, guys. Are you guys both heading to Vegas for for drafts this year? We are, yep. We're going to overlap for about a week out there. We might even uh, go share a steak dinner together. Oh, man, what a life. Vegas, steaks, high-stakes auction drafts. What a life for these guys. All right. Be sure you're following both of them on Twitter. Be sure you're following me at Adam Levitan, Evan at Evan Silva, all one word. Good luck in all your auction drafts for Evan, for Jack, for Chris, for producer Luke. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.